0: Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast.
1: It was an event the Queen was personally involved in planning. On Monday, we'll see the full spectacle of her state funeral play out in central London.
0: This week, the President and First Lady Biden will fly to London, ditch their private helicopter, and take a bus to the official funeral of Queen Elizabeth II. The international trip just weeks before the midterms is being used to both pay respect to the queen and her enduring commitment to democracy and to push back against autocratic forces currently threatening the globe. And with the eyes of the world upon him, Biden will return to New York and address the UN General Assembly, Well he will urge support for the ragtag group of fighters reinforced with Western weapons who are putting up stunning victories against a much larger war machine. The Russian retreat is one of the biggest defeats since the war began in February. Ukraine's president says so far this month, 6,000 square kilometers of once occupied territory has been retaken from Russian forces. America's most senior diplomat calls it encouraging. This on the heels of somewhat disturbing summit between Russia and China, where Putin and Xi Jinping presented a united front as a counterbalance to the United States and our allies. In other words, it was two strongmen flexing their autocratic muscle as a sort of fuck you to democracy in general. But with little Ukraine kicking mother Russia's ass, Putin showed up hat in hand and had to concede that there were questions and concerns regarding his bloody invasion of Ukraine. That every country not so secretly worries will destabilize the entire planet. Questions and concerns about Russia's deadly war in Ukraine, a shift in tone from the last time these two men met. At the start of the Beijing Winter Olympics in February, Xi and Putin announced a friendship with no limits and
2: called for a new world order not dominated by Washington. But only weeks later, Putin launched his invasion of Ukraine and
0: it has not gone according to plan. India, Pakistan, Iran, and four other Central Asian nations joined the summit in Uzbekistan Thursday. But to varying degrees, support for Russia is slipping. Kazakhstan, for instance, just sent humanitarian aid to Ukraine. Today's era is
1: not an era for war. Diplomacy and dialogue is the way forward. The message from the Indian
3: Prime Minister was unambiguous. He asked Russia for a cessation in hostilities, a peaceful resolution to the conflict in Ukraine. So the question is, how did Putin respond to that? Well, with a word of assurance, a guarantee of sorts, Putin told Prime Minister Modi that Russia will do everything it can to stop the war. How far
0: the East is willing to back Putin or his illegitimate war and Russia's deteriorating economy remains to be seen. But for now, they'll take the oil and run. But in the end, no one likes a genocidal maniac.
1: Come ride the little train that is rolling down the tracks
0: to the In another win for the president, the railroad crisis was averted. So long as union members sign off on the deal, there will be no strike and no interruption in the supply chain. After two long years of negotiating, the deal between the railroads and workers was going nowhere. Deadline looming and prospects dwindling. A strike seemed inevitable. Republicans were hoping that Biden would abandon the workers and side with management. Common wisdom was, it was time to play hardball. But Biden's idea of hardball is to put together a crack team of experts to solve the problem. It's like Ocean's Eleven if George Clooney was Transportation Secretary
2: Pete Buttigieg. What I'm about to propose to you is both highly lucrative and highly dangerous. The
0: rest of the team included Labor Secretary Marty Walsh, who was a former union official himself, the Agricultural Secretary Tom Vilsack, and the Director of the National Economic Council Brian Deese. Biden worked the phones and provided enough sandwiches and hot coffee to keep people at the table. And after 20 straight hours, eh, the deal was done. We don't talk enough about the good people working with the president, and we should. Because of them, today, the trains are running on time.
1: Petticoat Junction.
0: I'm not gonna dwell on this because it's the same bullshit that started the Capitol riots in Charlottesville and that damn near got Governor Whitmer of Michigan kidnapped. It's the same fucking crap that Lindsey Graham was pushing last week. And now, this Thursday, while chatting up conservative talk show host Hugh Hewitt, the asshole Trump says, the nation would face problems the likes of which perhaps we've never seen if he is indicted for stealing classified documents and hiding them at mar a and giving copies to his friends, or whatever the fuck he did. Trump is once again inciting violence and telling the Department of Justice that he's above the law and should be treated like a fucking king. Or his ignorant supporters will start a war in the streets. I mean, what? Are you fucking kidding me? Enough already with this guy. Lock his fucking ass up, and his people too, or we'll lose the democracy to a bunch of white-collar thugs. Well, if you see somebody getting ready to
1: throw a tomato, knock
3: the crap out of him, would you? Seriously, okay? Just knock the hell out. I promise you, I will pay for the legal fees, I promise.
0: I love the old days. You know what they used to do to guys like that when they were in a place like this? They'd be carried out on a stretcher. So, it seems ironic that on the same day Trump was threatening the nation, Heather Heyer's mom was at the White House for United We Stand, a bipartisan summit against hate-fueled violence in our country. Heather Heyer was mowed down by a white supremacist in a muscle car at the Unite the Right rally. Heather's mom, Susan Bro, is just one of thousands of Americans that turn activist when their
1: kids are killed by senseless violence. My membership was sealed in Charlottesville, Virginia, when a car drove into a crowd of counter-protesters. The driver admitted in court that it was a crime of hate an attempted mass murder that only killed one person, and that person was my daughter. At the summit, Biden offered a whole
0: host of society response to prevent and recover from hate-fueled violence
2: and to foster national unity. Too much hate that's fueled extremist violence that's been allowed to fester and grow. You know, as a result, our very own intelligence agencies, our own intelligence agencies, the United States of America, have determined that domestic terrorism rooted in white supremacy is the greatest terrorist threat to our homeland today. I've been around a while, I never thought I'd hear that, or say that. Enough. When those folks came out of those, that field carrying torches, the United States of America, carrying torches, chanting the same anti-Semitic bile that was chanted in Germany in the early 30s, accompanied by white supremacists, holding Nazi flags, I thought to myself, my God, this is the United States of America, Senator, how could it
0: happen? Biden also called for a $15 hourly minimum wage nationally and for Congress to remove social media's ability to spread hate speech and lies without consequences. But it's a sticky thing getting hate speech off of the internet. People like Elon Musk will tell you that it's censorship and if we're lucky, he'll tank his Twitter deal. But when we don't censor outright lies, we got QAnon, the rise of white supremacy, and the proliferation of the big lie. But as Congress decides where to draw the line between free speech and censorship on the internet, Fox fucking News is still free to spout the kind of bullshit that isn't just dividing the country, it's making us fucking sick. We have a moral obligation to admit the world's poor, they tell us, even if it makes our own country poorer. Governors Greg Abbott and Ron DeSantis, heeding the clarion call of their evil frat brother, Tucker the asshole Carlson, have lied to hopeful immigrants and transported them to parts unknown. Why? Because for these two despots, cruelty is the point.
2: They were told there was a surprise present for them and that there would be jobs and housing awaiting for them when they arrived. This was obviously a sadistic lie. Not only did those responsible for this stunt know that there was no housing and no employment awaiting the migrants, they also very intentionally chose not to call ahead, to any single office authority on Martha's Vineyard so that even the most basic human needs arrangements could be made. Ensuring that no help awaited the migrants at all was the entire point.
0: After being released from border patrol custody in Texas, asylum seekers were approached by a woman named Perla who offered them seats on planes to Boston where they were promised work. Instead, they were taken to a vacation retreat that is closed for the season and has virtually no jobs to offer. DeSantis apparently thought that hiring private planes was worth the price of owning the libs on Martha's Vineyard. Folks, they're quickly gathered food and supplies, provided places to sleep, and even a Catholic mass to the refugees. These are good people, who were mostly Venezuelans, escaping the tortures of the Maduro's cruel communist regime, only to end up pawns of the DeSantis regime. And what the fuck was DeSantis doing taking migrants from Texas anyway?
2: The group arrived with children and some elderly family members, all of whom could not speak English. The community, though, Band it together. They helped them, they set them up in a nearby church overnight. Now,
0: what's truly bizarre about the situation is all of these immigrants came from Texas, and it appears only the planes were provided by Florida. Meanwhile, in Washington, D.C., a Fox News camera was on hand at the vice president's residence to film the drop-off of several busloads of migrants, thanks, of course, to the hilarious antics of Greg Abbott. Who tweeted, Miss Harris claims our border is secure and denies the crisis? We're sending migrants to her backyard to call on the Biden administration to do its job and secure the border.
1: Adding to the chaos, faulty paperwork. According to our New York station, WNBC,
2: one migrant claiming an immigration and customs enforcement officer in Texas gave him government documents showing a made up address, phone number and a smiley face instead of a signature.
0: Abbott and Arizona Governor Doug Ducey have been sending thousands of migrants to DC and New York all summer, which overwhelmed the New York City system, causing Mayor Eric Adams to declare a state of emergency. So newsflash, you can't solve a crisis by causing an emergency. DeSantis and Abbott are culture war pimps. Yes, there are serious issues that border states are forced to contend with. But what they're doing now is trafficking human beings for a political puppet show. Six weeks to the midterms, folks. Use your vote to stop them. Welcome to the crime scene in Boralgo. And here's a quick update. Judge Eileen Cannon has once again done exactly the wrong thing and denied the DOJ's request for a partial stay of her ruling that limits their investigation into Trump's Mar-a-Lago document disaster. Cannon, doing her best to protect the former president and thwart the rule of law, said she's not willing to accept the government's assertions that roughly 100 documents taken from Mar-a-Lago were classified, even though they were fucking labeled classified, with some bearing secret and top secret markings on them. I mean, seriously, Judge? The fuck is wrong with you? The DOJ responded with an emergency appeal to the 11th Circuit Court, which is the DOJ's way of telling Judge Cannon
2: to go fuck herself. When I went to the first G7 meeting in England of the largest democracies in the world, I sat down and I said, America's back. You know what these leaders said around a small table with no press there? For how long? For how long?
0: And now for the main event. We're glad to welcome back Jeet here, Canadian author, comics critic, literary critic, and journalist. He is a national affairs correspondent for The Nation magazine and the host of the weekly Nation podcast, The Time of Monsters. He also pens the monthly column, Morbid Symptoms. Jeet was a former staff writer at the New Republic and has written for numerous publications, including The National Post, The New Yorker, The Paris Review, The Boston Globe, and The Guardian. Jeet has written several books, his anthology, A Comic Studies Reader, co-authored with Kent Worcester, It was the winner of the Rollins Award. So let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so Jeet. In a recent article, you wrote that you feel that President Biden has gotten his groove back. Will you do me a favor, expand on that for my audience? But also, while you're answering that, do you think that Biden's upswing is sustainable? I mean, because he's sort of like the stock market where he makes modest gains and then seemingly crashes again. Is it just the news cycle or are Democrats fickle?
3: Well... Um what I meant by getting his mojo back is, I mean, there's a long period uh, starting from the Afghan withdrawal, uh, which really put his administration in a tailspin, where his numbers were going down. Uh, and that seems to have ended like in the middle of July. And now there's like, you know, s- not like back to where they were, but they're slowly getting back. Uh, but beyond that, I mean, like he contro- is controlling the news cycle more. He's getting people to talk about what he wants to talk about rather than what the Republicans want to talk about. And I, I think that there have been, uh, you know, a few, uh, I mean, I think the key to governance is that you have to like uh, kind of show you're in charge. And I think that's why, even though most people approved of like withdrawing from Afghanistan, most people, if you poll them said, you know, like, we've been in there too long, we're not doing good. But I mean, the way that it happened, it looked like he had lost control. Like it was like a uh, 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 very um, dismal sort of retreat. And I think that that hurt him a lot. And I think for the first time in a long time, you're seeing him uh, get back. I, you know, mentioned sort of student loan. I think getting, you know, mention on board to get, you know, some climate change action. Uh, perhaps not enough, but I mean, like it would still be the first time the government's really doing it. And you kind of see it in some of his poll numbers now. Whether and the third factor is the, uh, the whole like abortion and Dobbs, which I actually think is really the most significant. I mean, I mean, once that Supreme Court decision came down, you know, getting rid of uh, not just Roe v. Wade, but Casey versus Planned Parenthood, um, you know, I think that that is gonna be seen as an earthquake in American politics, sort of comparable to Trump being elected in 2016. It's just gonna be a seismic moment uh, because I think there are a lot of people who like are kind of, you know, pro-choice, but they thought that, you know, the Republicans are never going to do this. They're never going to actually, you know, get rid of Roe. And now that it's happened and they they actually see like, you know, like, oh, in a lot of the red states, you have like, you know, just like these, you know, really horrifically draconian laws where women are being, you know, put in prison for like miscarriages uh, because they might've been abortion. And also like, but not just in red states, in blue states, you're going to have like, you know, you have that perfect video of Lindsey Graham saying that, you know, like uh, uh, they want a a federal ban on abortion, which means that like if you have Republicans in charge of the Senate and the House of the presidency, uh, then, you know, like everyone who lives in New York could be subject to the abortion laws that the Republicans want. And I just think that that's just enormously energizing. And one sort of sees that, I mean, okay, you know, as you and I both know, like polling, it's not an exact science and like i think uh, there's a pretty consistent pattern of pollings underestimating republicans especially in years where trump's on the ballot 2016 2020 but we have beyond polling we have special elections we had the special elections in new york in alaska and elsewhere and in those special elections democrats are you know performing like consistently better uh, even in the ones that they lost they're performing like, you know, about nine points better than they would otherwise be. So so there is a sense in which something has shifted. And that, you know, 2022 could have been a really bad year for the Democrats in the midterms. Um, it could still be a bad year. I mean, they're still on track for losing the House, but it's not going to be as bad. And even like, you know, Fox News, which has one of the better polls and which is not in favor of Biden, they actually had a poll showing the House of Democrats are up by three points uh, compared to Republicans which could still lead them to like the Republicans gaining a few seats. But still, um, yeah, I mean, I, so, yeah, I, so I mean, that's what I mean by he, Biden and the Democrats have their mojo back. Whether it's sustainable, I don't know. I mean, um, it depends on how much they can control the country and, um, you know, like continue to show that they have things in order. I think it really means like, you know, like consistently showing that you're the boss and you're the leader. If they, you know, win back the House and the, if they keep the House and win, uh, expand in the Senate, like I think Biden has to like actually like have, you know, keep putting policies out um, that people like. And, you know, and that could make a difference. But there's a lot of stuff that's, you know, beyond Biden's control as well. Look, there's a lot to unpack in the answer. First and
0: foremost, you know, the bigger problem is that not so, it's not even about Joe Biden per se. And a lot of my listeners, I shouldn't say a lot. There are some of my listeners that will reach out to me after a show and say, why the fuck did you bash? Why are you bashing Joe Biden so, you know, and why are you so harsh on him? So let me be very clear. I am not anti Joe Biden. I'm actually pro Joe Biden. However, when you do something right, you should get all the accolades for it. But I'm not going to do what so many of these sycophantic um, maggots, these Trump supporters do, and that's to blow smoke up his ass. The facts are the facts, and let's go through some of the facts. First and foremost, um, the Democratic Party has always been horrific in messaging, and Joe Biden is no better when it comes to messaging. Nobody, and I say this often, so I don't know why some of them take offense if I um, don't approve, and I don't believe that Joe should run in 2024. Personally, I think he's too old. Now, look. I'm not saying that, you know, we should put him down like you, like you would, you know, a sick animal. He's far from sick. He's in great shape. He looks good. He's roughly around the same age as my father. And I wouldn't want anybody saying to put my dad down. That's certainly for sure. But at the same time, my father doesn't have the strength in order to run the country when the whole world is as fucked up as it is. That's the problem. He just doesn't have, and he doesn't, even if he does have the strength, He doesn't project the strength, and that's unfortunate. So the Democrats have always been horrible when it comes to messaging, and what does that do? That opens the door to somebody like a Donald Trump who knows how to control the media. Now, I'm not saying Donald Trump is the pillar of strength or looks like he's the pillar of strength despite what he will do and tell you that he is the healthiest president in the history of our country, right? When clearly he's not, you cannot be healthy chowing down on burgers and milkshakes. You just can't, not when you do it every single day. But the things I do say about Biden, while he is president, he is my president, and I don't care if he was Republican or Democrat, he is the president of the United States, he's everyone's president. But here's the crazy thing, he does not, and we do not support him enough in terms of his accomplishments. I was reading a great article. I think the article is in the free press, completely neutral, completely neutral paper, the way I see it. In fact, in order to rival Joe Biden's success in the first two years or, or up to the first two years of his presidency, you'd have to go back to like Franklin Delano Roosevelt, right, to match his record of success. Despite the fact, despite the fact that he doesn't get any credit from the Republican side, or at least those people who are slightly far the right of center, right? You're talking about his Inflation Reduction Act, 739 billion health care, the climate bill, right? Medicare in order to negotiate prices for drugs. I mean, he's doing a lot of things. Afghanistan, you brought it up, 20 years, we were in Afghanistan. How many lives lost? Yes, 12, 13 people did pass as a result of a suicide bomber, but 130,000 people were extricated from Afghanistan safely. Was it sloppy? I don't give a shit. They're out, they're alive, and they're healthy. End of story.
3: Yeah, no, I, I, this is something that I think you and I sort of agree on. And I mean, I, to give like, you know, Trump sort of credit, I think he understands that, that like he you have to constantly boast yourself and you have to actually make claims for yourself. Like Trump would make claims that aren't even true. Like, you know, like, you know, it wasn't his necessarily uh, 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 responsibility. that The stock market went up. But whenever the stock market went up, he's there like saying, you know, this is the Trump stock market. Right. Um, uh, When the, the government gave out the relief checks during covid. You know, those early months where the economy really was like tanking, you know, Trump made sure like, you know, like Trump's signature is going to be on it. And for whatever reason, I mean, I agree with you about the Democrats being bad at messaging. They don't like to take credit for 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 everything that they do. Um, and, you know, like it's just an unfortunate fact that in life you have to sell yourself. You have to like actually like make people know what you're doing. Uh, and, yeah, they don't have that messaging machine. Uh, it's a sort of asymmetry in uh, the sort of media that you don't have really uh, anything comparable to sort of like, you know, all the channels that Trump has of like Fox and Newsmax, you know, which would be there to amplify his message. I mean, on the other side of it, you have things like CNN and the New York Times, but they're not really cheering on Joe Biden. In the same way, they're making a you know much greater effort to be neutral. And, you know, you have a few kind of outlets, <laughs> Uh, uh, you know, like podcasts like we're on here, or a few websites like Daily Cost that are pro Democrats, but they're not, they don't have the reach of Fox News, so it's a real problem. Cheat, yeah. cheat, it's
0: so true. Wait, I'm watching Fox the other day, and it was on Hannity's program. And there's this one asshole, I forget who he was with, um, with the campaign, and he's sitting there and he's making the claim, and it's a perfect Trump play. And again, I know the playbook better than anyone stating Trump accomplished more in his four years than any president in the last 100 years. And unfortunately, they never have anybody on. And I don't blame them because it would, of course, disproven you. Facts, facts are facts, right? They turn around, they claimed Trump accomplished more than any president in the last 100 years. So I would turn around and say, really, let me just give you a couple right off the riff um, of Trump promises made during the campaign. He's bringing manufacturing back to America. Well, fuck happened with that, right? He didn't bring shit back. I'm building the wall, right? Really? You got, you got what's his name? Uh, Steve Bannon now gonna go to prison for stealing money trying to build the wall. And who's gonna pay for it? Mexico. Well, that's until the president of Mexico told you, get the fuck out of here, you idiot. I'm not paying for shit, right? I mean, every one of Trump's promises fell by the wayside, but yet, but yet what happens? They keep touting him as the greatest president in the history of the United States. You have these sycophantic followers that just keep touting the same inaccurate misinformation, disinformation, malinformation. They say it so often, the average Joe moron on the street that's a Trump follower repeats the shit. And when they get confronted with it, no, there's nothing to talk about. He was the best president ever. As my grandma used to always say, you can't argue, it's stupid, right? But let me move forward and ask you this question, because I know you have some feelings. This is another thing that's just taken up our news every single day. And that, t- that hurts Joe Biden, to be honest with you. But it is certainly relevant and significant, because I know you have some feelings about the Queen's passing. <laughs> In The Nation, you wrote, Tucker Carlson <laughs> and former Trump advisor Stephen Miller are you using the Queen as an avatar of an earlier era when the right people with the right bloodlines enjoyed unquestioned power? Are you saying that the right is pro colonizer and that the MAGA movement is about bloodlines, which of course, you know, are inherently racist?
3: Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, it is a really amazing thing. Now, like, I'm up here in Canada, where unfortunately we do have the monarchy. It's uh, not something I myself prefer, but, uh, uh, but I think it's really amazing that people in America, like, uh, you know, like I could one could say like the Queen herself, you know, by all accounts, a very decent person and, you know, fulfilled her constitutional obligations or whatever. But I mean, to start celebrating not just the Queen, but as uh, Tucker Carlson said, he went on and saying, like, you know, the British Empire was the most beneficent empire the world has ever seen and that the uh, places that it governed were much better governed than they ever were before. And I have to think, like, you know, well, there's a couple of things. One is, first of all, you're in the... um, uh, United States, like, you know, like what happened to George Washington, (laughs) what happened to Thomas Jefferson, what happened to Thomas Paine, right? Like the, the, you know, like you're in a country where, uh, you know, what's identity is born from saying like, you know, well, we actually don't want Kings. We want to try to like govern ourselves. Uh, and the second thing is uh, Carlson, I believe, you know, is, um, uh, I mean, I think his ancestry, like, you know, a lot of Americans is mixed from a bunch of different uh, uh, groups, but includes, you know, I think that there's some Irish in his uh, family background. And I have to say, if you're Irish, in, whose, Irish, in whose, in whose, in whose family? Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And if you're an Irish, you know, like, you know, you, you cannot have, you know, like, you have to have some sense that, you know, like the British Empire was not the greatest thing in the world. I mean, like, um, uh, I mean, I, and I think actually in Ireland itself, I mean, the you know, the, the politicians, including Sinn Féin, were very respectful, saying, you know, well, it was good that the Queen uh, worked at reconciliation and worked for the Good Friday Accord, which is all true. Uh, but I mean, the people themselves remember, you know, what the monarchy stands for. And, you know, in, in sort of soccer games, there were, you know, there was a chant that broke out like Lizzie's in the box, right? Like there's a kind of people remember these things. Uh, so I think it's kind of amazing that they're, they're celebrating the, using the queen's death to celebrate the British empire and Miller. I mean, his was even more of an amazing kind of, um, I don't have the tweet in front of me, but I think, um,
0: He's the racist, Yes, by the way. very
3: much. And it was exactly, exactly a racist tweet saying that, you know, like, the magic and mystery of the monarchy comes that it's a select group of people and that there might be problems if the monarchy, like, you know, uh, resembled the society too much. Meaning, like, what he's basically saying is that the monarch should not... Like uh, the, the royal family shouldn't be marrying into just ordinary English people. They have to be like the select noble caste. I mean, and you know, there's a bunch of things one could say about that. First of all, you're an American and you're saying that, like, you know, uh, as with Carlton, like America was founded in revolt against that. Second of all, I mean, I have to say this like, you know, you're like um, a, a Jewish guy from California whose family comes from Belarus, and like, 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 like there's nothing in your background. That should make you think that the idea of like a noble bloodline of Anglo-Saxons is like, you know, uh, something special. And that one wants to have a society that has that sense of racial hierarchy. I mean, because that's what it is, because what he's basically saying in that tweet is, you know, because if you go to, I mean, I was just in England over the summer, you know, with my family who are like me, brown skin, you know, living in Birmingham and you, know, you go to England and it's like America, right? You have a lot of people from all over the place. Uh, people who are like, you know, Anglo-Saxon origin, but also a lot of people from India, from Africa, from Asia, from Poland, from Eastern Europe. And, you know, like, like and what Miller is saying is, well, we want the right sort of people to be the monarch when we don't want these rip rocks from Eastern Europe or India and blah blah you know and you know that's actually something he's actually to the right of the royal family because the royal family I mean they have they've had these issues but for a long time they would only marry other nobles and I think that sort of changed the last few yeah, years it was,
0: gen- it was generally their sister which is why so many of them in the old pictures that you see in the museum is so fucked up looking Right.
2: Exactly, exactly. Folks, yeah, well, exactly. folks yeah, well, that's don't
3: marry. That's right. I mean like he's actually Miller's actually saying that the sort of inbreeding which is like the, I mean I'm sorry it sounds rude, but this is a historical fact that the uh the nobles of Europe and of England were constantly breeding themselves and that's why they would have problems with things like you get when you marry, you know, uh, uh so closely, they would get, you know, like uh, hemophilia and other uh, problems yeah. and so so miller's actually saying that, that, that that's a good thing and we should keep that and i have to say like <laughs> like if you're like a 21st century american you know of any sort and but especially like if you're also jewish like what what the hell are you doing here and so it's so, yeah. so kind of like an amazing thing it, anyways, anyways
0: it's absolutely amazing you know i have a question you know my father Um, grew up his life in Toronto, went to university of Toronto, medical school, the whole bit. Most of my cousins live in Toronto. Um, I do actually have to go back. I I will have a little bit of an issue because believe it or not, as a felon, you have to get a special visa to to go. I have to go to, to go to all of the, um, the queen, you know, the, the monarchies, um, territories you have to get special visas nowhere else but just the monarchy because you know there's so many good so many of them are just so good right but i love london and i do really have to go back and visit toronto but i i'd like to ask you you know just a few questions about the royal family how do you feel about king charles all right he's 70 something and starting a new job i mean i thought i was fucked up i'm 56 now Basically, starting a new job as a result of you know, my incarceration, but he's starting a new job at 70 something. What is exactly? Because most Americans don't really know. What is the job of the king today? And do you feel he's the sort of person that will engender the same sort of loyalty from his subjects that his mother did? I mean, in all fairness, I've, and I've asked this question, I can't think of a specific time. That the Queen actually made a mistake. I mean, she's really sat on that throne for 70 years without committing, you know, the Prince Andrew type of, you know, issues. She's really been just a wonderful, wonderful um, symbol for, you know, for England. And um, do you think that Charles will be the same?
3: Yeah, no, I mean, I'm glad you brought up that issue about the Queen, because, you know, like, it is a constitutional monarchy. And over time, I mean, there were periods, you know, not in the not too distant uh, past before this current Queen, where like monarchs would occasionally try to intervene in politics. Uh, And I think that one of the things that the Queen Elizabeth did is really to like highlight the fact that, you know, no, I'm a figurehead. I' am the representative of you know the whole people. I will go along with what Parliament does uh and I will kind of meet all the people and then you know she did travel a lot, and that was very significant, traveling all throughout um uh the Commonwealth and meeting all sorts of people uh, and 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 th- that's a great achievement i mean like to manage to to keep um to be a the, to be a symbol of that and I, I want to also emphasize very important like a symbol of like reconciliation because, you know, the British empire during her reign, uh, kind of, um, you know, was in retreat and has given up a lot of territory and there's still a lot of outstanding issues. And I think one of the most significant things that she did, and it, I don't think people in America realize this in 2011, she went to Ireland, uh, the first visit, which has been a Republic, you know, since, uh, uh the 1920s. Um, and, you know, as part of the, you know, pushing for the good Friday accord, you know, met with Irish leaders, including meeting with, like, leaders of Sinn Féin, including people who, like, you know, probably ordered the killing of her cousin, Lord Montfort, right? Like, these are people, and these are people who themselves have reason to, like, dislike the Queen and the British because they had their own families, you know, tortured and killed by British paramilitary. Uh, But she did that. She made the effort. She, like, you know, shook hands with people, and she went to a memorial. For you know, victims of the British Empire in Ireland. Uh the, the Irish would like suffer there. And you know, she um she bowed her head. And that's like just an amazing thing that's very significant for Ireland reconciling with England. Um so 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 I want I want I would say like you know, like even though I'm not a monarchist, like what she did there was very significant. Now, Charles, <laughs> a very different character. Uh and one way to maybe put it is that you know like he's very spoiled like in a way that they all are but it's even more the case and this is something I highlighted in my column but I think people should know this you know like this is a man who's never squeezed toothpaste uh, on a toothbrush he has valets that do that and has valets that like pick up after him. And once he's this actually in the many of the videos that are coming out, whenever he's introduced to someone, he doesn't actually know who they are. He has some guy who comes and whispers in his ears uh, and you know, like all, so there's that aspect. Um, there's the aspect of his kind of like, you know, personal life, uh, the whole business with Diane, uh, Princess Diana, uh, you know, the, the very kind of messy divorce and you know, the fact that I don't think people have, are quite willing to totally forget, like, the actual circumstances, which is that he was carrying on a love affair with this woman, uh, Camilla, who the queen and the, uh, who the royal family didn't want to be his wife. They wanted a young uh, woman who could give, like, ch- uh, uh, children. He married Diana under these, like, you know, very, I think, dubious circumstances. They had an unhappy marriage. Uh, you know, like, it's it's all leaves a kind of, uh, bad impression, but beyond that, he's, yeah, he's just like, you know, like he's very haughty and he will, he is very visible and kind of like ordering the servants around, you know, rather than like letting them serve him and like, you know, like trusting them, like he likes to micromanage the servants. I don't know. I think, I think he's going to be very bad. I think he's already made a couple of very bad decisions right out the gate. One of which is that he was initially announced that they were going to go on a tour of uh, Scotland, Wales, and Ireland with the new Tory Prime Minister Liz Truss, and that's not something you're supposed to do. Like the Queen goes on tours, and if the government needs to do a political message to uh, Ireland, she'll do that, but in a non-partisan way. Like you don't travel with a politician of one party; you're supposed to represent the whole country.
0: Yeah, like I said, you know, she's she's been she's been magnificent. Is you know, since she took um, the throne. In fact, I wanted to ask you something as well, because I know that, obviously, other than England, from the time that she took the throne, she was, I think they call it like Queen Regnant, right? It was for thir- in, of 32 sovereign yes. states. Explain explain that. But, but then somewhere along the line, I think they... Either returned or seventeen um, migrated outside of the kingdom. How does
3: something like that even happen? Well, I mean, this is a, a legacy of the British Empire. You know, like she—I um, think that actually goes back to the 19th century in Disraeli, where he went to bolster the British Empire. So he made Queen Victoria, you know, not just the Queen of uh, England, the United Kingdom, but also Empress of India, Queen of Canada. Uh and you know, like obviously, as you know, British rule withdrew from those places, a lot of those countries had to kind of decide, are they gonna keep it? Now the thing is in Canada, when we don't actually pay for the Queen, uh, she's on our money, she's our queen. I think we pay like when she travels, when she comes to Canada and Charles comes to Canada. So it's like not a you know super uh bad deal for us if our people want to keep it. But I think that also like you know, I, I think it's just natural that you know as countries mature. You know, one would uh, uh, you know try to develop your own you know uh, national tradition and cultures, and not you know be tied to the mother country. Uh, and I think that's going to happen more and more. I mean, I don't know. In Canada, it's going to be very hard because the Canadian constitution is very hard to change. But I think like one could see like um, uh, other places in the Caribbean, uh, you know, like Australia, New Zealand. Like are kind of moving away from the uh, the royal family, so especially with Charles, because it's not just Charles. Um, he has decided this is the other early decision that he made, which I think is very dubious. Which is you know the issue of Prince Andrew, who they tried to keep in the background when the Queen was alive, but Charles like decided to make him the sort of counselor to the king and basically the sort of second in command. So when Charles leaves England, then all his duties fall to Andrew. So if there's a bill in parliament, Andrew has to sign it. Uh, or if Charles is sick, like, let's say he goes through, you know, like a long period of like illness and can't fulfill his duties, it's going to be Andrew. And, you know, like, unfortunately, like, you know, like Andrew, like, you know, <laughs>
0: Watch out little exactly, girls.
3: Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there are like, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. he was like a real associate as was our, you know, our, uh, our friend, Mr. Trump <laughs> of, uh, of Jeffrey Epstein and uh, uh, you know, went to, uh, often visited Epstein, and there are like you know uh, women who were at the time like you know young girls, but very or serious- island, yeah, as yeah, as it was
0: referred to, yeah,
3: yeah, 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 who have very serious accusations against them. What's, you know, like uh, I believe that he's settled and I, I, so, uh, but I mean, I think one can reasonably draw one's own conclusion and this is not like somebody I would ever want to be like, you know, like the, the head of my country or representative of my country. So that that seems like a huge kind of like error. It's, yeah, yeah, you you know, it, it is, it's a stupid
0: move. He should have made Harry. Right, or he should have made William right, maybe William first, right? Considering he's going to take over, make him your, we'll call it consigliere instead of Andrew, who's horribly unpopular in England. So yeah, it almost reminds me of um, uh, Braveheart, right? When uh, the father throws the wartime consigliere right out the window because he wasn't interested in listening to his stupidity. I think we're going to have probably the same sort of nonsense. Coming, you know, coming here. Let me ask you this, though. How do you envision things going now between um, himself and, you know, this very new conservative prime minister, Liz Truss? I mean, because England seems to be in dire straits economically right now and will be deeply affected, you know, by the gas and oil shortages that are being caused by, you know, Putin's war in Ukraine. What do you think happens between the two of them? Because ideologically, they're on opposite sides of the fence.
3: They are on um, opposite sides, except that I think that Truss is going to, uh, by all accounts, from her politics, is going to run a really hard right government and might use some of, um, and is already kind of using some of the uh, uh, turmoil like, to consolidate power. I mean, there's been a, there's not a lot of cases, but there's been a few of these cases of, like, people protesting, like, in very innocent ways, like, just holding up signs saying, not my king, you know? Or, like, you know, yelling out when Andrew is passing by, like, you're a sick old man, which, you know, like, I'm sorry, that's actually just factual. And being arrested, and they were being arrested under these kind of, like, old uh, laws that your. Uh, put forward in the 80s and I actually think yeah there's going to be a, like a kind of I actually kind of you can kind of see that trust is already gearing up for a more repressive period because there is a lot of turmoil like when I was in England you know like you know and like my family are like just like sort of middle-class people but everyone was feeling the strain like energy prices have basically gone up like you know like by uh, four or five six times right so like if you're paying like you know 500 let's say 500 american a month you know now you're paying like three thousand dollars right and uh and everyone is like you know like under the gun uh in terms of that and like a lot of people were talking about like you know uh there's been a lot of wildcat strikes which have actually gotten a lot of sympathy because people understand that the the strikers are protesting the cost of living um there's just going to be a lot of uh turmoil coming out and i think trust is going to take the old, you know, try to be Thatcher II, like you're really crackheads. But in a situation where I don't think she has the the popularity of Thatcher and doesn't have the population behind her, it could get very ugly. And I I, I worry that she's kind of using uh, the coronation, like trying to exploit the situation to already like test out these laws, test out like how much can we put down protesters. She, she, that's what she's going to do. She's going to like use the, like put through strong laws to like, Uh, to go against protesters and to go against strikers. And I really think that we're going to see, just based on everything I saw in England uh, over the uh, summer, you're going to see like a really intense sort of um, class crisis and sort of breakdown similar to, I think, what happened under Donald Trump in 2000, right? The summer of 2000, where you kind of just had like, you know, like just massive numbers of people out on the streets um, and, you know, like a loss of faith and trust in the government. And we'll see what happens there. Like, and unfortunately, I think, I don't know if Charles is smart enough to realize that, like, you know, he's, he might be, like, he might disagree with trust on issues of, like, you know, climate change or whatever. But I think that she's, like, gearing up to, to exploit him. Right.
0: Well, did you mean the year
3: 2000? Oh, 2020. It's like 2020. 2020. Exactly. After George now, Floyd and all the sort of protests that we saw. I, I, think, exact, I think that we're Exactly. See That's what In Europe like unless this war is like, you know, unless somehow Putin collapses and then there's a uh, a restoration of energy prices, you know, there's a real danger. One could see the level of protest uh, that once saw in 2020 in America. And in the case of England in particular, you're going to get a very repressive government crackdown. Um, and then, you know, like who knows what's going to happen? Like, you know.
0: So just to follow up on the monarchy and, I'm going to be very candid with my listeners here. I didn't write this question. All right. Uh, I actually saw it on television completely unimpressed with the answer. Um, and so I want to ask it of you. If we consider Andrew's unpopularity and then the Queen Consort's unpopularity, would this be a good time for the Commonwealth to dump the monarchy and do something different? Right. Or do they still need the monarchy for symbolism or does it even go deeper than that?
3: I think it would be, I mean, I, I, I'm a small art Republican, you know, like Tom Paine and George Washington. (laughs) I think it would be, I think, I think, you know, countries can do it. Now, Having said that, like, I do think that there's some symbolic value in having a head of state that's not a politician, but I don't think it has to be like a member of a noble family or a queen. Like, I actually think, like, you know, here in Canada, you know, we could have we could elect somebody and elect Wayne Gretzky, he probably let's would say win. to be, you know, uh, or you know, Slim Dion, right? Like, you know, I mean, so she's the queen, uh, and because it is a celebrity job, and you know, you could do, uh, you know, just find somebody who, uh, who's kind of like. Uh, a wholesome figure uh, to, to to fulfill that task, and it doesn't have to be even permanent. They could do it like every five years. So, so I, I actually think like it is exactly the time to do that. I mentioned like it's just a, a technical thing, but in Canada, it would be very difficult to do just because they've jerry-rigged our constitution so that it's like any change is very very difficult. But if you could do it, I I, I would absolutely do it. Uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm totally in favor of that, um, and I think that there's something to be said. I mean, you know, like I'm a Canadian, I love Canada, but I do feel like it holds the country back that people aren't like trying to develop their own culture. That there's a kind of like you know uh, worship of you know the royal family, and these traditions, and not like you know looking inwards a bit more. And I think America has benefited. I think the United States, the fact that you have you know, so much creativity and energy uh, comes from the fact that you know, you know, the founding fathers um, and the founding mothers. Like that generation of Americans made the decision. Like, you know, like we're we're a grown-up country. We're going to try to do this on our own. Um, so I, I'm always in favor of you know. I think Tom Paine's um, critique of the monarchy. You know, going back to the American Revolution. Like, I I, I think that's pretty convincing.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna agree with you on Wayne Gretzky is the new prime minister or leader, the monarch of Canada, I don't care what anybody says, I'm going with Keanu Reeves because this guy this guy could freaking do anything, yeah. all right? And then he could have his prime minister there as Rachel McAdams because she would make a wonderful prime minister as far as I, And then if you really want to get silly and stupid, we'll just put Jim Carrey in, right, for the position. Most people don't. These are all Canadians, so... Just wanted people to know. I get my cousins telling me that all the time. All the great actors in LA and so on, they're all Canadian, right? Mike Myers, right? I mean, you know, we'll just put them all up onto the list. But let's go back to the United States for a second. Because white supremacy is on the ballot in November. And despite what uh, these right-wing pundits want to say, lots of Americans have reverted to, you know, a sort of tribalism that is actually anti civil rights it's anti people of color and anti trans i mean the term woke it's a negative term but do you think in general americans going backwards or are the voices on the right just louder
3: yeah i think it's more a matter of the voices on the right being a bit louder i think it's in some ways a testament to the kind of you know progress and changes that have been made that like you know do you're seeing more People of color into their positions of prominence, and that is creating a kind of backlash. I think that's what's fueling people like Tucker Carlson and Stephen Miller that they're scared of the fact that, like you know, like in America, you know, having a white skin alone will not, like you know, allow their their mediocre selves to flourish, and that there's you know more competition or whatever. But you know, like I don't think that the majority of the population is there, but the majority of the Republican Party might be. But I mean, I think it's coming out of a position of fear, but I think it's also a lot of demagoguery where people like Trump are taking, you know, like genuine issues that people are worried about. I mean, I I don't think that like, you know, the people in the Midwest who are worried about like economic stuff, about the trade deals, about losing manufacturing jobs. I think those are real fears. And I think the, you know, the, 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 upsetting thing is that someone like Trump was able to exploit that and to say, well, it's the immigrants who are taking away your jobs. Uh, And I think that's still kind of potent. Um, But I mean, like the way forward is like, you know, hopefully they get some sort of real progress on real issues. Um, I noticed, I mean, like, you know, we were talking earlier about Biden and accomplishments and here's something, if I were Joe Biden, here's something I would like um, absolutely sell, which is that um, it looks like Tesla, which had, these battery plants in Germany are going to move their um, plants to America because of this uh, um, new uh, bill uh, uh, that they got, the new climate bill. And if I were Joe Biden, if I were the Democrats, like I would absolutely be like putting it out there to people like, look, we're getting these like factory jobs, these jobs where you like, you know, you don't have to have a like a college education. You can you can uh, work hard your life. You're going to get a good pension. You're um, and we're bringing them back to America. And I think that if you can like answer those economic questions, then you know the ability of people like Tucker Carlson or Stephen Miller or Trump to exploit racism goes down. I mean, like there's always going to be some people you know who who are bigots in society. But I actually, like you know, like if you look at, I sort of see America. You know. Has have, as a country that's made a lot of progress, that has actually, you know, uh, accepted and, and welcomed people. And I think it, it can make more progress in the future. Uh, but I mean- you, have- you
0: can always do better, right? However, we were doing well. when I say that we, we've gotten to the finish line ever? No, because you could always do better. What Trump did, what he did with his acolytes, like this, Steve Miller, who Steve Miller is just a white supremacist who's a Jew, which is the craziest thing. I mean, even his own family doesn't want to hear from him. Why? Because his position is so anti what their position is, which is that the United States is a melting pot. He, wa- he enjoys the white privilege. And he is, as you stated, he's fearful. But he is absolutely, in my opinion, he and I, I know him. He's a fucking racist. Now, do I think Tucker Carlson is the same sort of bigot racist that Steve Miller is? No. I think he does it because it's financially fucking lucrative. And when I say lucrative, go look up on the internet and see how much this asshole makes. 30 million plus a year spouting bullshit. Well, same bullshit that Alex Jones was spewing until he just got bitch slapped. Right. For over $52 million. And he's got another lawsuit and they're going to bankrupt him. And you know what? Fucking good. You know, there comes a point in time, like the old adage of you can't yell fire in a theater. What they're doing is wrong. And I can't wait to see guys like Tucker Carlson when it comes to the voting machine dominion and other sort of lawsuits that, you know, involve him and so on. But I want to ask you because you, we're talking about Republicans in your opinion. If you are now a Republican, will you have to embrace the MAGA movement or semi-fascism, as Joe Biden put it? Or is there still room in the party for moderates and fiscal conservatives?
3: Yeah, no, I think this is actually the most upsetting and difficult thing, which is that what we've seen, uh, you know, like not just under Trump, but after Trump over the last two years, over the, you know, all the primaries we're seeing is that the people who... You know, um, have taken principled stands and, like, you know, want to have a party that is like a very conservative party that, you know, like believes in like tax cuts, believes in uh, strong military, um, but they don't want to, you know, drink the Kool Aid of Trumpism. Those people are like all in trouble. I mean, like, you know, like, you know, Cheney, uh, Kissinger, a lot of them have resigned, a lot of them have lost primaries. And I think that the Trouble is, I don't think like all Republicans are MAGA, but there's enough MAGA that you need MAGA to win. Like, like let's say it's like 30 or 40% of the Republican Party. And like in a primary, you can win. Like, because usually you have like three or four people winning. So, so all these MAGA candidates are winning. Uh and
0: but they can't win in a general election, right?
3: Yeah. It is, it isn't a general election. And I think a lot of them, I mean, the good thing is well, I think a lot of them. You know, are going to lose in the general election. Like, I think they're really bad candidates. Uh, you know, this guy, Blake Masters, uh, uh Dr. Oz, or what, 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 and, but many of them, many of them, unless they're in like really like super red districts that are like, you know, like 90% Republican or 80% Republican, I think a lot of them are going to be, uh, in trouble. Uh, and I, unfortunately, I mean, like, I think the Republican Party had a choice, but the choice was a long time ago. It was like 2015, 2016. They could have, You know, just frozen out Trump, uh, coalesced around someone else and said, you know, like, we're going to like try to do it without him. But like, once you let that guy in, like, you know, like, you know, the the, the analogy I would use is like a good fellows, right? Like once you like, like, like the mafia be your junior partner running your restaurant, then like at some point they're going to say like, okay, you know, like, like we're just going to trash the place and get the insurance money or whatever. And, and you're going to go down with them. Like you, 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 you made the deal with the devil and, um, you're going to have to pay the price. And, you know, like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like maybe like a few election cycles down the road, like, you know, like, let's say not 2024, not 2028, but maybe, you know, like uh, 2032, uh, you know, like, like maybe some of these um, more moderate Republicans, uh, not even moderate, they're not moderates. They're, they're like conservative Republicans who just like draw the line at like authoritarianism. Right. Maybe some of them can start winning again, but it's going to take a while. And until that happens, uh, you know, like one has to like hope that the and work towards the Democrats winning because, you know, and one can disagree with the Democrats. I mean, there's a lot of things I don't like about the Democratic Party. A lot of candidates I don't like. But if the alternative is, you know, any, a, a normal Democrat and Blake Masters who is saying, like, they should fire the generals and, like, uh, elevate the conservative colonels, right? Like, basically calling for a military coup. Uh, you know, I think, like, you know, you just have to, like, defeat these people Again and again, and whether the Democrats are up for that, I don't know. But I mean, like, that, that's the only hope I see. Like, if, if, if these guys can lose enough elections, they'll come to their senses.
0: Right. Except something that Americans and actually, you know, foreigners that follow American pol- U.S. politics, you forget. When Donald Trump was running, he said all the right things. Well, let me let me take that back. That was actually a stupid comment by me. He did not say he said all the right things for his for his supporters. But nobody really knew anything about what position that he stood for. So when he said, I want to fix immigration, we all know immigration in America needs to be fixed needs to be fixed in order to let people come in and give them citizenship so that they feel part of the country, not this crazy long process, if you could even get it and yada yada. There's so many things. And yeah, there should be a border, right? And everybody acknowledges it. Does that mean that you stand on the border with firearms or, you know, and you shoot them or you build a moat as Trump wanted to do with alligators? The answer is no, right? That's not who we are as a people. What Trump did in the four years is he showed us who he really is. And people ask me, time, well, you worked for him, so you must be a bad person too. Well, he had 10,000 people that worked for him. You want to cast all 10,000 people as bad people? I've always said... That when Donald Trump became president, that old adage of absolute power corrupts absolutely. He became the worst version of himself imaginable. It's something that I talk about in, in my new book that's coming out October 11th called Revenge. How Donald Trump weaponized the U.S. Department of Justice against his critics. He knows how to play a dirty game. And Democrats really, we really need to start figuring out how to play in that sort of a sandbox Otherwise, it's a real problem. But then let me go. Let me go and ask you this, Gee. Do you feel that America will continue to be as divided as we are? I mean, what's the remedy? I mean, if there is one at all, because I hate to think that we're going to fall into a civil war. And for me, it's really hard for me to imagine. I have a lot of friends who are so Republican, and to not when I say so Republican, I'm not talking right of center. I'm talking Trump maggot you know, far right, and I, I almost can't even speak to them, but I never imagined that I would be taking up or they would be taking up arms, right, against me or shooting your neighbor. But, you know, American history, look at it. It has happened before. You see it
3: happening again? I don't think, like, a full-scale, like, civil war of that we know from history, you know, of the North and the South is quite in the works. Um, I think that there's two things first of all, like the South was able to get uh, a lot of the military who were like, you know, Southerners like Robert E. Lee to to basically desert and join them. And I don't think everything I know about the American military, uh, including how they behaved under Trump, kind of indicates not. that It's a very professional military. You know, a lot of people in there are conservative, but they're not um, uh, this sort of conspiratorial uh, type of conservatives. And they're very... Conscious, the military brass are very conscious of their status um, as being like above partisanship. And I don't think that they're like going to. Be- so I think that that's the main thing that they kind of are you-
0: not cheat. They are not. All right. They may tell you that they're nonpartisan. They are. They served. And again, we talk about this with the Department of Justice. They're supposed to be nonpartisan as well. It's just not, it's just not true. I'm sorry, you was, keep, keep okay,
3: going. Well, okay, but I mean, I don't think, it's hard for me to imagine that the military would like take sides uh, e- e- uh, in a civil war in that way. And like, I think what was, one saw under Trump was that they kind of, you know, they sometimes went along with them, sometimes they they didn't. But I mean, I, I think that there was a real resistance to like, like the, um, uh, to being used, like, you know, like we talked about the George Floyd protests or whatever, like, you know, Trump wanted to call in the troops and wanted to send in like, you know, the military into American cities. And, uh, 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 and you know, they were able to like, you know, put the kibosh on that. Beyond that, I think that like the form of a civil war in America is going to be more like what we see in the 21st century in places like, you know, like what used to be in Northern Ireland, right? It's not going to be like, you know, like big standing armies fighting each other on a battlefield. It's gonna be like terrorist groups. um, And one sees that already. Like I, you know, there's been a lot of like- uh, Domestic,
0: domestic terrorism. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah, domestic terrorism. And groups like the sort of Proud Boys, uh, you know, and who are gonna take up clash. I think the other, okay. So the two things that worry me, I do think that this Blake Masters thing, where he said they're gonna fire the generals and elevate the colonels. um, I think that is a real attempt to like, you know, radicalize and uh, MAGA-ize the military. And, you know, like whether Trump or someone else can do that, it's a worrying scenario. The other thing is the sort of sheriffs. I don't know if you know this thing, the Claremont Institute, which is like this big sort of trump think tank. But what they're doing is they're having these fellowships for uh, sheriffs and they're trying to like encourage sheriffs to think that they have um, deputy power, they have like jurisdiction over things like voting. And what they're going to try to do is like, you know, come election time, if election results don't go their way to send in the sheriffs to say, uh, you know, some of them are very right-wing to say like, and, and very MAGA to say, well, this election is like, uh, not, um, uh, legitimate. And I think
0: it wasn't legitimate. That's right, that there were fake, that they were fake um, ballots, et cetera. And, and, and again, I've talked about this on Maya Copa many times. He's following Putin's playbook. And Putin's playbook, which was really, you know st- well, it, yeah, it's 100% Putin's playbook. When you see um, him winning an election, 92% of the population massively favor Putin, which we all know is not true. Putin's comment is it doesn't matter who you vote for. All that matters is who's counting Yeah, it's,
3: I, th- I think that's a dangerous scenario. But I mean, I wanted to say that it, uh, maybe it's a distinction without a difference. But I think that if, if there is a civil war, it's going to take a different form than, you know, like the traditional civil wars that people have in their mind. It's going to be a lot of localized battles all over. the. It's not going to be a geographical thing, north versus south. It's going to be in every single state. And it's going to be and the right. real like levels of power are the sort of sheriff's. Um, and, may, uh, and they're going to try to use that as their wedge. I think maybe uh, you you disagree with this, so I, I'd really like to hear what you think. I feel like that the top brass of the military would resist any attempt to be politicized in that way. But you you, you don't agree? Like I
0: like I write about it in my book, Um, who would ever think that the Attorney General of the United States of America now, despite the fact I I can't fucking stand him, this asshole Jeffrey Berman. Who was the former head of the Southern District of New York came out with his own book, which validates mine that Bill Barr, on behalf of Trump, right, went ahead and was interfering in, you know, in, in my case. Not to mention, I have a lawsuit against the US government, Trump, yeah. Bill Barr, etc., for an unconstitutional remand of me back to prison because I refused. To, you know, I refuse to waive my First Amendment constitutional right. They didn't want me putting out my book. They didn't want me talking to media. They basically wrote conditions for me different than anybody else's. But I want to just go back to this upcoming election, because one thing that you mentioned before, and obviously it's on a lot of people's minds, is that women are under attack in America. And obviously abortion rights, right? But in a hundred other ways, too. Do you see women's rage as a game changer in the midterms um, as well as in the general election? Or do you think that white middle class women could still surprise us and vote against their best interests?
3: Well, first of all, one is seeing like um, in the registration numbers, like it's pretty much all across the board. Everywhere, women are registering more than men. And, you know, the only explanation you want to think of is. Uh, well, well, the abortion decision, but yeah, the broader sort of you know uh, war against women that you alluded to. Um, whether it's going to be enough, I don't know. I mean, like you know, I think it's going to be a squeaker, to be honest. I think the Democrats look like that they can expand in the Senate. They might lose the House, and I think it's unfortunate that you know, like there's enough other issues. There are people who are legitimately worried about the economy, about inflation. Even though you and I can agree, like I think Biden under the circumstances has done a good job but you know like people are gonna like you know a lot depends on the price of gas right like if, uh, you know if gas, nah, you have nah. gas but gee
0: that's a republican talking point you gotta find yeah, the yeah. weakness right so you take a guy hypothetically um you know and you're in, you're in a you're in a fist fight you look for his weak point right um you know, maybe he has no stamina, so you know you you let him throw a couple, and then he runs out of gas, and that's when you kick his ass. That's what the Republicans are doing. They're looking for that small thing. How about talking about all of the things that Joe Biden? Yeah, well, no, done? but this is
3: what I'm, I'm trying to point out. What are the weak points that the Republicans are going to point out? And it looks like they're going to use um, uh, inflation. Although even that's a little bit sort of on the wayside. he really looks like they're going to try the old immigration playbook. That's why DeSantis sent those, you know, um, you know, who are refugees from Venezuela, migrants, yeah, who like Republicans should love, you know, they're refugees from um, uh, 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 socialism, uh, but they, you know, like, like using them as props. I think the Republicans are going to run on on that sort of stuff. Whether it works for them, you know, I don't want to get into the prediction game. You know, like right now, it looks like Democrats can uh, hold the Senate, maybe not hold the House. Uh, and I think that that's not, it's a very, um, unhappy result because I actually think Republicans need to lose. And I think even if you're a Republican, if you're a Republican, who's like a regular conservative Republican, but don't, doesn't like MAGA, that's a bad result. Like you kind of actually want to have Republicans lose a few cycles so that they can get, um, uh, some sense of them, and people always talk about like you know Eisenhower is the great moderate Republican. Well, the reason you got Eisenhower was that the Dem- Republicans lost, you know, like they lost five elections in a row, you know, to like FDR and then to Truman. And if you lose enough elections, you're gonna like go moderate, right? Uh, you know, like I think if the Republicans lose yeah. enough elections, then one can see you can we can avoid that civil war that you and I are both afraid of, and can you know, uh, but it you know, I would like to see, I think you and I are end on, you know, note of agreement. If the Democrats were more aggressive, if they were like really putting this out there, if they are like, you know, like highlighting like all the kind of horrible stuff and then also like trying to sell the good things that Biden has done, you know, like I would be a little bit more confident. I, I agree with you absolutely that, you know, there isn't that, they don't have the same sales culture and they don't have the same megaphone of like Fox News and newsmax and there's like, just a lot of like right wing media out there um they don't have all the you know talk radio hosts and whatnot but i mean yeah it, you know one has to fight with the weapons you have and like i think uh um uh, i mean i think your podcast is a good weapon so. well
0: look we just turned over 50 million downloads since we started the this mea culpa movement is growing and it's growing um thank god relatively quickly um, and I intend to get out there both for the midterms and definitely for the general election. And, you know, the hour goes by real quick, you know, real quickly, G, and I have just one last question because it sort of touches on this whole thing. You and I both agree that polls are whack. In fact, I call them bullshit. You may remember I was on Breonna Keeler, and this is when I was, you know, s- supporting Trump and pushing him uh, early and right. on. And, and, I, and I said the famous says who, which went... You know, viral is a meme, a lot of jokes about me, the whole bit. But I was right. And why was I right? Well, I was right simply because these polls don't mean shit. The guy calls you up. If you answer, 99% of the people have no interest in being bothered by a pollster on the telephone. Nobody even has home phones anymore. It's on your cell. And so they you just hang right up on them. But the people that are willing to answer, you already know the answers to the questions. And so if you're doing a Republican-leaning poll, if you want to show a poll that Trump would win tomorrow the election, because I did read one that said if the election were tomorrow— And the presidency was between Biden and Trump. I mean, God forbid for both of it, that Trump would win by several points. Now, you scratch your head and you say, how is that possible after so much has come out about Trump's criminality? Right. In your opinion, is the loyalty to Trump willful ignorance or just blind loyalty or people just are people just dumb? Right. Because it doesn't make any sense. I don't believe the polls. The same way I said it last time, I think the polls are skewed. I already know the answer. So if I do a small poll of a 1,000 people, I already know that 800 are Republican, have always voted Republican, makes no difference. Chances are you're going to have a skewed poll. Tell me your thoughts. Yeah, I
3: don't know it's quite stupid, but I think it's just a sort of tribalism. And it's it's something that everyone has, but it's like, you know, like West Side Story. When you're a jet, you're you're a jet all the way from your first cigarette to your- You love your movies like I do. And Uh I think it's very hard for people to break. And that's why, you know, like I do, I do admire you for like, you know, the people who can, for breaking with Trump and for the people who have broken for Trump, but it's, it's hard for people to do, right? Like you just have that, you know, because to break with something like that, you have to admit you were wrong at some point. And I think that's very hard for people. Yes. So I think that there's still that, like, you know, 70 million people, 75 million people have voted for Trump. It's a hard sell for them. Like they, they, once you're a jet, you're a jet all the way.
0: Yeah, well, I hope not. And by the way, um, Canada better hope that, you know, Trump is not, you know, the future monarch here. I do want to ask you one real quick question um, before we go. I was always curious, now that on the Queen's passing, and you have now um, Charles uh, as the king. Do they change the currency?
3: There's some debate about that. I don't think they've decided yet. And there's a lot of people saying Charles should not be on the currency. And, you know, let's put uh, Don <laughs> Cherry or let's put uh, uh, Keanu Reeves or whoever, you know. <laughs> let's put uh, Mary yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah,
0: well, look, look, like I said, um, being one of our obviously closest um, border Neighbors, you truly better hope that Trump is not running because, you know, as I used to always say to my cousins in Toronto, our Salvation Army can kick your, your army's ass. <laughs> so, you know, you know, we need a strong America, yeah, no, absolutely, right? Absolutely. Um, in order to have a strong world. And if we don't have a strong America, we have a weak America. We will have a weak world. And when you have people like you know China and Putin and North Korea, you know, um, and you know all of these other you know Mohammed bin Salman, these monarchs, dictators, rulers, whatever you want to call them, it's really going to be dangerous. But gee, let me thank you for joining me. Um, truly appreciate it, and definitely. Hope you end up coming back onto Maya Culpa soon.
3: Oh, uh, always a pleasure. And if you ever, yeah, you're in Toronto and I'm in Toronto at the same time. Would love to meet you. And uh, yeah, uh, good to talk.
0: The same. Thank you, Jeep. And now for today's Maya Culpa. It's really hard to say which governor is worse. DeSantis and Abbott are both so fucking bad. I hate wasting the airspace to say their names, let alone detail the mockery they make of their offices. Or their bigoted, violent, and oppressive approach to women, people of color, and trans folks. Their MAGA-ass fuck-you attitude towards the left or really anyone who disagrees with them. And I won't mention their slavish desire not to support Trump, but to beat Trump. They are both fucking sociopaths, but neither has what it takes to beat Trump. You have to be at least a little charming to fill those shoes and that they ain't. But their states deserve better. Hell, the whole fucking country deserves better. And as we continue our series gearing up to the midterms, this week we'll feature two men that will save their states the degradation of pathologically bad governance and bring Texas and Florida back into the light. So first of all, there is no one more down to earth than Beto O'Rourke. Last week, he was spotted taking his teenage kid to an Iron Maiden concert. He's bilingual, and unlike Ted Cruz, he bravely stood up for the families in Uvalde and demanded the truth from state and local officials. Beto somehow appears anywhere in the state where trouble or tragedy has struck, said one reporter, because he's deeply connected to Texas. In 2005, O'Rourke ran for the city council in his hometown of El Paso on a platform of downtown development and border reform. He won and he's been in politics ever since. There is something called the Beto Effect because even when he doesn't win races, he disrupts them. He's knocked on the doors in every county in the state. He supports increasing federal aid to public schools in low-income communities. He's been active in prison reform and been vocal about the state's need for legit mental health care. I mean, Beto's in favor of comprehensive immigration reform and safe gun laws. And his records on the environment is flawless. He's an optimist and a man of the people. Texas will thrive under O'Rourke as governor. Now, let's go to Florida, where everyone knows Charlie Crist. He's been in politics since the 1990s. He's been on both sides of the aisle and served as governor from 2007 to 2011 as a Republican. In 2012, he became a Democrat and endorsed Barack Obama. He even wrote a book about it called Parties Over, saying of the Republican Party they have pitched so far to the extreme right on issues important to women, immigrants, seniors, and students that they've proven incapable of governing for the people. Chris has not always been on the right side of same-sex marriage or gun control, but he has evolved and apologized along the way. In 2014, he won the Democratic primary, but lost the governorship to good old Rick Scott. In 2018, he ran for the House of Representatives in the 13th district and beat David Jolly, becoming the first Democrat to win the seat in 62 years. In the House, he voted in favor of impeaching Donald J. Trump. He's been good on the environment, he's supported lifting the embargo on Cuba, and he's endorsed by the League of Women Voters. I mean, seriously, go figure. Chris has shown that a man can change and grow with the times. He's spent 30 years serving the good people of Florida. Now, Christ is ready to replace DeSantis as their governor and return the state back to sanity. So happy voting to all. And thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. Written by Jimmy Jelinek and Paula Killen. Our editor and managing producer is Lisa Orkin. Our executive producers are Jared Gustad, Jimmy Jelinek, and myself, Michael Cohen, along with Phil Alberstadt. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is still winning the war on the state and local level. Maya is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice, and folks, I promise you, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars mea culpa, nothing but the truth.